Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a career development podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, looking to change your perspective, or just rediscover your why. I'm your host, Harsha Borolesa, and this podcast came about from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and their interaction with career and personal development. In each episode, I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them about their career journey, their real life experiences, and to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you to take a fresh look at your career and assist you on your path to a more successful and fulfilling career. Here are some highlights of today's episode. Your intent doesn't matter. People judge you on your impact. We judge ourselves on our intent. Um, We judge others on their impact. I think it's the spirit of giving and how we present. And if you present as someone who's helpful, other people help you back. Some people get too comfortable staying in the bitterness stage or the it's unfair. And that's that's just not going to move you forward. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Amy Barnard-Bond. Hi, Amy. Hi, good morning. Thank, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Absolutely. A former Fortune Global 50 executive, Amy is a consultant to the C-suite and leaders at global companies like Bank of the West, Adobe, and The Gap. Recognized by Forbes as one of the top coaches for legal and compliance executives, she is a member of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches. Amy guest lectures at Stanford and UC Berkeley, is a contributor to Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, and Compliance Week, and is a fellow at the Harvard Institute of Coaching. Amy earned her law degree from Georgetown University Law Center and her BA from Tufts. A lifelong diversity advocate, Amy testified for the successful passage of first laws in the US requiring corporate boards to include women. Welcome, Amy. Thank you, Harsha. Very glad to be here. And just to kick off the podcast, would you like to share a quote with our listeners, something that resonates with you? Oh, sure. I have a favorite one from Peter Drucker, one of the experts in business management and a great thinker. And he said, you shouldn't change yourself, but create yourself. And what that means is build around your strengths and get rid of your bad habits. And, and actually, that resonates something you know, very well with what one of my beliefs is that Think about what you're good at and really try and supercharge what, what your strengths are. Because I think in the world that you're competing on a global basis. And in a way, um, as long as you don't have any uh, glaring flaws and you're actually self-aware of those flaws, what you should really try and do is supercharge your strengths so you can really mm-hmm. stand out. Because I think it's getting that niche of real excellence and mastery, which, which helps you. Absolutely. And it's, it's simple. Uh, but it's not easy. Totally, no, with, with, without a doubt. But if we go back to the, the beginning, Amy, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your early career? Sure, sure. I started as an attorney. I, after going to college, I went straight to law school and I practiced litigation and employment for about three and a half years, which wound up being really great background for then going into corporate and working in human resources here in California. And I spent about 11 years in financial services, a company, Allianz, which is pretty global. 
and did a range of jobs and then moved into compliance and ethics at that company, started their first program. And then I moved to McKesson in healthcare distribution and also founded the compliance and ethics program there and oversaw all kinds of things like workplace investigations and hirings and firings and rifts and layoffs and built a team. I was on the executive team reporting to the president of the largest business units. It was a $90 billion business that was global. Then I taught law school for a bit. And then I came out to Sacramento where I am now and was the chief administrative officer of the California Dental Association, which was fun because I had a bunch of functions reporting to me, IT and HR um, and legal, but also some that I hadn't had before, like project management and administration and governance and learned a lot. And then I went and got my coaching credential. And now I really love coaching great leaders who want to be even better. And then working with teams and companies to remove any dysfunction and really be the most effective teams they can be. And then I often also get involved in causes that are important to me in terms of giving access to underrepresented groups, to promotions, to activities, and trying to equip everyone so the best leaders rise, no matter where they're from or what their experience or their access has been in terms of their start in life. Wow, that that sounds like a really varied career. Um, And was there any sort of particular strategy that you had when you started out? Because I think it's quite interesting for our listeners that obviously somebody like yourself, who's started off as a a lawyer, um, obviously serving clients, and then going in-house. Was the move easy? Did Was it something you always aspired to? Sure. It was not planned. It was a series of experimentations. My whole career, everything I just mentioned to you may sound like it sounds perfectly orchestrated, but it was absolutely not. Um, It was quite messy and there were gaps and I I shortened, you know, I'm happy to talk about any of them, but just for the sake of brevity, I, I shortened it. But you know, when I quit my firm, I ha- I'll give you an example. When I quit my firm, I had an entire year of unemployment and it was very scary. And it was very scary quitting my law firm because I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I wound up volunteering to stay busy and I founded a nonprofit for the arts are very important to me. And so I founded a nonprofit for the San Francisco Opera to whom I credit many of my friendships today. And I picked up extra skills that I hadn't even planned on. I picked up marketing and PR and working with the press and fundraising and event planning. That was neat and wound up becoming helpful later, but I didn't do it intentionally. I would say harsher that I went with my curiosity and I went with moving towards things that brought me joy, try to not worry about the money all the time, although that can be hard, but sometimes you just have to press on and have faith that things are going to work out. I know a number of people are unemployed right now and that can be very challenging. So I've, I've had many breaks like that and then just had to keep being creative and having resilience and keep pushing through. And it's, it's great to hear about the opera because actually I, I'm an opera fan as well, Amy. And I think oh, we discovered this. From that's our, right. Our that's right. Yeah. And, and I think it's really interesting how I think moving towards what you like and enjoy and not being transactional, because I think sometimes if people always think, oh, I need to sort of befriend that person or try and create these connections. But I just think that doesn't work. There has to be something genuine underlying it. And you have to like that person or have a common interest. So I, I think- agree. So I think it's really revealing to our listeners, you saying that you did these things, you essentially followed your interests and and things that motivated you rather than purely thought about your career. And then you meet people. I I always recommend people who are networking to do what they love and then it will follow. 
but you can be strategic about the types of groups you join and look at the group and see who's on it. But I would never, t- you know, I'd work on boards, for example, and and uh, serve on those. You wind up meeting fascinating people through these things, but you do it because ultimately you believe in the mission of the organization. I would never tell someone to join a board just because they thought they're going to make great contacts for some other, you know, plan they had or goal they had. They, sh- they should enjoy it. Life's short. And so number one, you need to enjoy what you're doing now, not always thinking in the future. That said, a really good career does require advanced planning and it does require um, investing in yourself. And so it's a balance, but to your point, yes, there should be a connect and yes, you should know what your values are. It should be a fit. Sometimes I think it's good to put in the work, put in the grind and mm-hmm. delete that gratification because only I think by doing the work now, you'll get the payoff later on down the road, won't you? I believe in radical self-reliance because no one's looking out for your career for you. You may be lucky to have a mentor or a sponsor and that's fabulous, but I can tell you it doesn't last forever like like anything in life. And when you have it, really appreciate it because it won't always happen in many companies and that kind of thing. And then you really have to rely on yourself and you have to ask the right questions and you have to be really aligned with your team and be thinking, okay, what's the next thing I need to be doing to be five years ahead of the curve to still be a valued, non-expendable resource. And I just love the you, that philosophy because that really ties in with this podcast. It's very much about self-empowerment. You know, I don't have the answers. I don't think all my guests have the answers, but I think it's up to the listeners to figure out, okay, this is something with, which resonates with me. I'll take these pieces because I sometimes, I sometimes think that people are looking for a sil- silver bullet or for people to give them the answers. But actually, if you look around, the answers are actually there and you can take those and find them, whether it's on YouTube or the internet or serendipity, and then incorporate them into your life itself. Yes. Brilliant. And and just in terms of your um, career, what, what made you sort of switch from, you know, sort of working in the C-suite to consulting and setting up Barnard Bond uh, coaching and consulting? I felt like it had run its course. I'd been an executive for about 20 years at that time. And I was lucky I'd done it in multiple roles. I, it's it's not always the case that you can be a chief human resources officer, a general counsel, and a chief compliance officer, and a chief administrative officer. So I had done you know a lot of different functions. I really enjoyed them for different reasons. Um, and now I really enjoy helping people who are in those roles and in other challenging roles think more broadly. I enjoy the variety of the work and I enjoy being able to write and be more opinionated when you're when you're an executive at a company you have a fiduciary duty to the company you really are the company if you take your job the way you should seriously in my opinion you are restricted in what you can say or political activities you might want to get involved in etc it can be a little delicate and so I like the freedom you know I, I wrote an article for Harvard Business Review on pay inequality and how to fix that some companies I worked for when I was head of HR might, you know, I might not have been able to write that article because maybe we wouldn't have had all our ducks in a row and, <laughs> or maybe women on boards, maybe we wouldn't have had any women on our board and that would have been embarrassing. Yes. I mean, I'm making, I, I'm just saying these, these are types of things that, you know, now that I'm in my fifties are quite important to me and I want to help make an impact. And at each age, we can make an impact in a different way and we can be very intentional about it. And the blessings of getting older are ideally if we've if we've done the hard work 
we have more of the intellectual freedom to really choose where to put our effort. Oh, yeah, no, I think that's a great thing. And, you know, I totally agree. I think when you're in the corporate setting, in order to get anything published, you have to go through the various channels and compliance and regular, which which is totally understandable because they're your employer and they have a a particular mission. But as you're saying, sometimes these things don't, your views don't totally align with the corporate, but that's a a price of uh, getting a regular paycheck, I suppose. Yes, it is. That's what you're getting paid for. It's a trade-off. It's a trade-off, right? Correct. Well, life is full of uh, (laughs) trade-offs. Fortunately or unfortunately, but but going back to your your work, um, you created the Promotability Index Leadership Self Assessment. I also, did, and also you launched a, a companion guidebook. Um, what, what is it about, and, and wh- why did you create it? Well, I think this fits exactly with your show too, Harsha, which is one of the healthiest things you can do is focus on what you can control, especially in times like this when it can feel really demoralizing with not knowing whether you can travel. A lot of people had furloughs or cutbacks or layoffs. Pretty difficult over the last year, I think you'd agree. And mental mindset has been challenging. So my goal was to help people feel empowered and focused on what they can do. And so the Promotability Index is an 82-question free assessment that anyone can take. It's on my website. I'm sure you'll probably put it in the show notes. Um, And I intended for it to be an inspirational self-exploration. It's a self-assessment. So it's just, you just take it. It's 15, 20 minutes. Most people tell me they find it exciting and fun and positive because they realize what they have done for their career. And then they realize all these other things they could do. It's literally almost a list of 82 things you could do for your career. And if people are honest, I have to tell you, no one can get 100%. And unfortunately, we are programmed to like numbers and all that. But the idea is that you can um, take it time and time again, if you do some of the work and pick one or two things that you didn't check off that you'd like to work on, then you work on those, you take it again, you'll see progress over time. And it's intended to work on you know, an annual basis. The guidebook came out of the assessment. I was doing a lot of corporate speaking and academic teaching and people who took the assessment said, this is wonderful. Now I want to work on these things. There's two or three things I really like to work on. And the promotability index divides promotability into five areas, Harsha, that I found when I was hiring and firing and and working in HR that that are really what get you promoted. And there's self-awareness is the first element. External awareness is the second. Strategic thinking, executive presence, and thought leadership. And they interrelate, but they are ordered a certain way in terms of how our lifespan and our career evolves. And so the guidebook goes into each of those five areas and gives exercises and thoughts and insights and resources if you would like to improve in a particular area. And I would say it's most powerful when you either do it as a discussion point with your boss or with a close colleague or mentor who can validate your self-assessment. I've had friends who and, and colleagues, and then I have a case study on my website of a company that embedded the Promotability Index into their career development process. And people loved it because it forced a one-on-one, very deep conversation with leadership around how am I doing? How do you see me? This is how I see myself. Where do you think I should be working on? And a number of people were pleasantly surprised. They rated themselves lower than their bosses did on certain things. And there were some blind spots. And so huge opportunity to have that conversation early on, just really priceless. 
And, and I love the idea of you, know, you sort of start off with self-awareness because I'm very much a believer in this whole idea of you know, working from the inside out. You need to sort yourself out um, you know, rather than looking sometimes at these external things. If you can figure out, okay, this is who I am, that, you know, really look deep within yourself, figure out what, what are my strengths, what are my weaknesses. And then once you start doing that, I think you're in a much better place to think about uh, promotions and, and what, what you need to do. Yes. It, the idea is we are all responsible for our own careers. No one is going to ultimately look out for you. You may be fortunate enough to work at a company where they have a phenomenal leadership development department. I know many that do, and they're fantastic. Some of them are my clients. And then others don't. Either they don't, just don't have the money or they're a startup and they're just not there yet. And some leaders are wonderful technical experts, but they're, they're not good at leading or they hate giving feedback. Feedback's hard, especially if it's a tough message and, and managers often dread it. That's another reason for the Promotability Index Guidebook is I wanted to give a shared language and support managers and leaders in having these conversations. Because sometimes I wrote an article for, for Harvard Business Review called um, Promotions are not just about your skills, they're about your relationships. A lot of people in their early stages of their career over-index on their technical capabilities to the exclusion of their relationships. That ha that happens commonly in your 20s and 30s. And I think you can get away with it at that point. But once you want to start to move into management or the C-suite or an executive role or a corporate board seat, you must have the relationships. And at that point, no one cares where you went to college, really. And no one cares if you have this or that certification. They want you to be a team member and they want to be able to talk to you and enjoy having a an intellectual dialogue. And you don't always have to agree. I'm not suggesting that, but it's much more about the relationship. I, I think that's such a great point because, you know, I think, yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, at the start of my career, what I thought was just work hard, get my qualifications um, and everything else will just follow naturally. But, you know, as we're both aware that, you know, the world is not fair. And unfortunately you have to, go out there, you have to sort of build your brand, you have to create your relationships, you need to make sure the right people know what you're doing, which I mean, it can seem a little grubby. But on the other hand, if you're not promoting yourself, who is going to promote you? And I think it's much better to, as you're saying, look at the world as it really is. And then you need to adapt and change your strategy to fit in with that. I th and I, you raise a really good point. I would never recommend that people embark on a campaign that feels fake to them. There are all times where we've had to just get along with people that probably we don't naturally agree with. And that's a part of life, especially in corporate life. But find people that you do align with that can be sponsors, join a project team, volunteer to do something outside your work area, you know, gain, build that network by being helpful is the number one way to build it. And then you're not feeling like a taker. You want to build your network before you need it. You don't want to go asking and go begging. That is what it can feel like if you haven't paid it forward. That's what paying it forward is all about is realizing, hey, I have something that can be helpful to this person today, either a connection or some feedback um, or just offering to help on a project or a problem or being a resource. It's not a one-to-one. -one. I'm not suggesting that you do that because you think, ooh, there'll be a payback someday. But I am telling you that the universe does reward that. <laughs> and there is a payback, actually. It's what I've told my kids is I have two teenage daughters who are coming up in the world and they get more coaching from me than they probably want. <laughs> um, 
but I wish I'd had it though. So they're getting what I wish I'd had. And it's not a one-to-one relationship. Let's say I help you out. You ask me something and I say, absolutely, Harsha, I will make that introduction to you. Someone else somewhere down the line is going to help me that I've never helped. I think it's the spirit of giving and how we present. And if you present as someone who's helpful, other people help you back. That's the best way I've been able to figure it out because it's certainly not a direct science. Yeah, no, no, totally. It's not a sort of a, a quid pro quo type thing. No, but but I think sometimes, you, sometimes, but yeah. not right, but not yeah. always. No, no, yeah, to, totally agree. But I do think, yeah, if you have a sort of giving mindset, and and also if you don't think of it as giving, you're just being yourself and trying to be helpful. That's a great, great thing. And uh, yeah, generally, I think it does come back to you uh, if you do. Um, yeah, if you're somebody, yeah. I've been so grateful. There have been so many people that have helped me over the years that I would have never thought. And and the other flip side of that is sometimes people that you think absolutely would help you don't, and that can be disappointing. Um, and so that's why it's very important to have a big network, I think, where you've been just helping all along. Yeah, no, totally. And, and it's really interesting. In the last year, I found that there are people who I don't know very well, you know, trying to get my sort of podcast off the ground. Oh. Uh, what, what, yeah, somebody we both know, uh, Tammy Gulilob, yeah. who I'd not met at all. She invited me onto her podcast after we'd met for literally half an hour. And, you know, I was looking back and thinking, look, I haven't told her any lies or said that I'm a, the CEO of some big company. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's good. wonderful. I just saw her a couple of weeks ago in Boston and yeah. extremely generous and, yeah. So, so I think it just, you know, go out there, you know, build a big network and you know, don't expect anything and, and things, you know, great things do happen, but mm-hmm. sort of going back to the promotability side, one thing I really think is, is important with the work you're doing is that if you can sort of set a framework, have criteria for promotion, then it's a, it's a question of breaking it down because I'm sure you must've come across these stories where people think that they're ready and then their manager yes. says that, oh yeah, you, you don't have the executive presence or you don't have the right mindset. I mean, what, what does that mean? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Uh, but you need to say, look, I, you know, take uh, you know, presentation skills uh, class or you know, uh, net, network more, you know, give proper actionable things. And I think that's the great thing about what you're doing. You're trying to create these actual deliverable things that one can do. Is that right, Amy? It is. One of my values, again, is access and good communication and supporting good leadership. One of the most frustrating things that anyone can be told when they're working hard and they've got their credentials and they're getting in there and they're giving up weekends or time with their kids or their spouse or girlfriend or whatever it is, you know, they walk into their you know meeting and, and the boss just says, yeah, you're just not ready yet. And you get the little virtual pat on the head. I mean, how insulting and how, how demoralizing and awful. And you just want to. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Very, very angry. It's, it's awful because what do you do with that? You're not ready yet. Oh, okay. Do I need to get a different suit? Like did I wear the wrong hairstyle today? You know, it's just, you need specific actionable feedback. And so, yes, the promotability index breaks it down. And for example, if a company, a company, you know, I think should adopt this, but if you're on your own and you have it, then you have a toolkit and you can say, great. Can you tell me more about that? How am I not ready? I'd really love to be ready. 
So can we break that down? And can you tell me, you know, for example, is it, is it my executive presence? And then they have to think about it. I mean, you know, I would literally, and I'd say, okay, is it, uh, do I have some blind spots in my stakeholder relationships? Are there some people that, that I could do a better job of working with that, that don't want to work with me? You know, help me out. Like, what are, what are you hearing? What's my brand? What's my rep? It's a popular name and I think a bit overused, but it really means what do people think of you when you're not in the room? What do they say about you? That's your brand. You know, what do you, what, how are you impacting others and how do they perceive you? Because your intent really doesn't, with the external awareness, when we're talking about that part, your intent doesn't matter. People judge you on your impact. We judge ourselves on our intent. Um, we judge others on their impact. And it's very important to understand that difference. And I think that that's a brilliant point you make about, you know, when you go for these assessments, and I think this is where I think a lot of people go wrong. You know, you have your assessment, your yearly assessment, but actually if you wait till the end of the year and then they bring up this stuff, mm. then what is it you can do? So I think there are two really interesting points there. I think firstly, I suppose you need to try and get regular feedback, but, but absolutely. But, but also the other thing is, how do you get your boss to actually not tell you the truth, but force him, or sorry, force him or her to actually say, this is what you want? Because as you were saying, most people don't like um, being put in this situation where they have to give real feedback, even, even if it's positive. They, sometimes people just don't like to do it. And especially when it's negative or, or they're playing this game where they've got a few people they have to keep sweet and only one person can get promoted. And right, think, that does happen. Yeah, no, no, totally. And and in a way, it's it's this game of strategy and leverage and who has the power. And I think sometimes don't take it personally, but say to yourself, look, this is a puzzle. I'm an intelligent person. I have to figure out, look, does my boss really want me or does the company really want me to be promoted or not? And actually try and flush out that information. And almost mm-hmm. the quicker you can do it, the better it is for you. Um, what, what do you think, Amy? I do. I do think that. And a lot of people are in a position where they may need to stay, even though there isn't maybe a promotion coming. And I would encourage everyone to use that time to assess their skills and get ready for the next one. Second, I would say some companies um, won't have a promotion opportunity, either because they're too small or the person who's in the role that you would want has no plans to leave anytime soon. And, and that happens too. I've had, fr- I've had colleagues and clients who are very frustrated by this and we've had to just say, look, this is just is what it is. So, and they're very sad because they love their company and then they, get, they have to really think about work-life balance, whether they're, whether they're happy enough with what they have as opposed to jumping into something completely unknown because they really want it. They want that role. And that's a very personal decision. No one can tell you that, but your company hopefully will be candid with you if you ask the right questions. And one thing I would say that job seekers and or employees sometimes for fail to do is to prepare themselves properly to make it easy for their boss or for the company to give them the information they need. It's funny because they seem like they have all the power and they do, but you can make it easier for them by creating a psychologically safe space for your boss to give you feedback, for example. Some tips that I would have are, number one, don't ask during compensation time. It's a very stressful time for managers. They have a limited budget. It's always limited. It depends on how well compensation has been managed over time at your company. Sometimes there are a lot, there's a lot going on. You're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. Someone may, may be way below their pay band. They maybe have been forced 
for fairness reasons, for very good reasons to bring that person up. But that means the budget for everyone else is really low and that sucks, but that's just the way it is. I've had that happen. Awful. You know, and you can't tell anyone you want to create resentment amongst your team or anything. And there's legal liability issues as well with fairness and all of that. But I would say my number one tip for leaders is don't start a promotion um, conversation with your boss at comp time. It really is separate. Wait for that to be done. Get your review. That's all backwards looking anyway. We want to look forwards. Wait a couple months. Summer is a great time because it's a little quieter depending on the industry you're in, depending on your occupation. But in general, July, August can be a nice, quiet, mellow time to really kick back with your boss and say, hey, you know, can we just talk about this going forward? Um, I'm really interested in developing. I'd, I'd love to learn these skills. This is how I see myself. And then if, if they really are tough at giving you feedback, my other big tip is to ask a very specific question that very few leaders will refuse to answer. And this also is a great question to ask peers and your direct reports, by the way, because depending on how high you want to go, you need to make everybody happy. It's a 360 yeah. situation, especially if you're CEO. So even the CEO has a boss. They've got to go to the board. You just say, hey, I want to be the best that I can be and realize my full potential. What one thing can I do that would help me be better in my job? And just stop talking and stay quiet and give them a little time to think. And I'm telling you 99% of the time, because you're so specific about one thing and you're asking and you make it safe for them, they will come up with something and tell you. The trick is to thank them. Say, thank you so much for the feedback. And especially if you disagree, don't argue. And I'll explain that in a second. It could be unfair. It could be something that really knocks you for a loop. What? What are they talking about? If you truly don't understand context, say, could you give me, can you tell me a little bit more? Can you give me an example? Again, in this tone of voice, helpful. Oh, okay. That's so interesting. Like a spirit of curiosity. You, you know, if it's something that really shocked you, then you can manage it later. If it's something tough, great. You know, think about it. Bully for you that you got it out of them because those are the kinds of things that I find in my clients later in my 360s that can prevent them from getting a promotion. And they never knew that they had upset someone or they were doing something a particular way. It may be super helpful and like, oh, I never thought of that. That's great. I could totally start working on that, like presentation skills or this particular stakeholder that you might not have strategically realized was critical for your boss. And maybe to help your boss, you need to do some some deep work over there. So that would be my quick tip. I, I think that's brilliant. And and even if you get information that you don't like, it's still helpful to have that conversation. And and also if if your boss is avoiding that conversation, that's also a signal as well that maybe there's something more to it than you think. And with all these things, inaction, I think isn't good. You need to figure out what you can do and if there is something that you can do. But because if there isn't, then you need to come up with some alternative plans. It's quite risky to not know. It's literally a risk. And so your self-management and your self-reliance, I think you need to be vulnerable and courageous enough to ask. And then that empowers you with knowledge of, okay, well, that that's a perception they have. I didn't know they had that. I don't think it's fair, but they have it and they have the power to compensate and promote me. And so I'm going to work on that. I'm go- I am going to gosh darn it, take it on in the next six months. I'm going to change that. I'm going to do, you know, ideally you could work with a coach. I do this with a lot of people, or you can come up with some things on your own or with the guidebook. And think of, 
you know, two or three outward behaviors that are visible that are going to change that perception and then check back. And, and, you know, you can say a couple of weeks later, you know, I just want to thank you so much for giving me that feedback. I didn't, I wasn't aware that that's how I was cut. That's not my intent and I'm working on it. So could I please ask that you notice? And when you see me either doing it badly again or improving it, would you please, when time is right in in one of our one-on-ones or privately, would you please let me know? That would really help me continue to calibrate and know how I'm doing. The beauty of this, Harsha, is a couple of things. Number one, you are working on yourself in a very impactful way. And if there is some issue that you're unaware of, you're going to bring it with you the rest of your life, even if you hate this company and you think it's unfair, it could come up again. And so it's helpful. The second thing is, is it demonstrates, you know, I loved it when my, I, I always thought they were my superstars, my people, direct reports who would ask me for feedback unsolicited because I'm more likely to give it to them in the crush of the day and outside of performance reviews. You know, I, I tried to regularly give it, but there's nothing like an employee coming and asking you. It's giving you permission to think about it and to focus on them. And you gain respect for that person immediately. So the other thing you're doing when you're doing this is you're immediately getting brownie points for being someone who is a go-getter, who wants to improve. And again, who's showing that courage and vulnerability to, to ask and to be open to that. And people... I hear it all the time from CEOs, people, you know, my people need to be agile and they need to be open to feedback because we're going to make mistakes and we're going to screw things up because we're moving fast. And so if people aren't open to the feedback or they're going to take it all personally or go into their cave um, or, you know, just stick their head in the sand, that's not helpful to them. It's not helpful to me. If you look at your career in the long run, you just have to be thick-skinned because there are going to be disappointments. Um, there are going to be these macro issues like the pandemic or the global recession, mm-hmm. and you just have to be resilient. And I, and I love this one line from your book where you say that, you know, remember that every job is temporary. You rent it, you don't own it. Because I think some people get so attached to their jobs, mm-hmm. they feel defined by them. And how do you, you know, if you get made redundant or people find it hard to recover because they're so attached to their jobs? It is working identity is very real and it can be very difficult if you've aligned your identity so much with a company and many cultures are that way, corporate cultures. And if you've worked someplace for a very long time, that can be very challenging. And I've had colleagues that have had very unpleasant surprises at at the 20 year mark Um, and they've bounced back, but it's just taken them a couple of years. And I'd say that's quite normal. There's a wonderful book by um, Herminia Ibarra called Working Identity. It talks about uh, the relationship between work and ourself and how that can get intermingled in, in ways that we may not be aware of that can be difficult to work through, but can be worked through. Totally. And I think sometimes uh, yeah, you have to accept that work is work. And obviously you want to do your best at it, but there are things that you can't control. I mean, sometimes your compensation is too high and they're trying to cut jobs mm. and it's not because you're not good, but unfortunately it's either one of you or maybe four or five people lower down the chain. That's really um, hard. Do you think so? Yeah, I, I have um, heard of companies doing that and that is hard. And sometimes you know, one of the riffs that I had to do in a, in a large company, it was to save the company. And it was awful because we had an exceptional number of people who had been at the company for 25 years. And we were in an area of California that had very little large scale employment. We were the largest employer 
it was, you know, I, I hope I never have to live through one of those again, because it was emotionally very painful for everyone. And we were as fair as possible with transition. Um, but the company was not doing well. And, and it was literally a survival. It, it was either, you know, cut this many people or don't, and just, you know, everyone's going to eventually lose their job. And so a lot of companies are like that. And I think, I think it's very hard for people when they are um, a part of a reduction of force or their job is eliminated. And so that's when good friends and colleagues and staying busy and getting a plan together and focusing on what you can control is how you can start to get your inner game juices going again. But it takes time, like allow yourself to mourn. There's, there's no rushing the sad part. I, I, I do need to acknowledge that. I don't mean to come off as just, oh yeah, just get out there and do it and it'll be great. There's definitely a time and a place where, and I've had those in my transitions where you just had to be kind of sad for a little while or mad, bitter, but I would just encourage moving through those stages as thoroughly and as quickly as possible and just don't get too comfortable staying there. Some people get too comfortable staying in the bitterness stage or the it's unfair. And that's that's just not going to move you forward. It, it may be true. It may be completely unfair and life is not fair. So that's one quick thing to get over. It's not easy to accept, um, but you'll be a lot happier if you do. I totally agree with you, Amy. And I think, yeah, you just have to take your time to grieve, accept that, you know, whether it's fair or not, this has happened and mourn for a little bit. But yeah, totally staying in that uh, place of mourning and being stuck there and ruminating about the past is not a good place to be in. Because I think even if that ideal job comes along, you're not, you're just not going to be in a good headspace to uh, get it. You're not going to interview well, you're just not going to come across well. So I think, yeah, go and speak to your friends, Mm -hmm. um, get it out of your system. But then as you're saying, get a plan, get a strategy. And I think the whole idea of having something, you know, treat your job search like a a job in a way and, you know, make sure you get up every day, get ready, uh, have your things to do, your to-do list. And then I think just the whole idea of I've sent that email to a person or I've connected with somebody on LinkedIn. There's that sense of achievement, have a spreadsheet and just starting will, will take you far. Don't you think so? I do. And I loved your point about, I want to emphasize it, that you do need to get through your, your issues before you start interviewing. It comes through. If you're still angry, and I've seen this as a as a recruiter, I've been a recruiter. I've done you know talent acquisition. I've overseen it. You need you need to be ready and strong and excited when you're looking for another job. It, it's just the negativity shows up, or you're bitter. It's amazing some of the stupid things people actually say in interviews, but you've got to work through it. And you can set a timeline. I know one uh, mind trick, if you will, for our silly lizard brains that usually get activated when we're angry or upset or feel things are unfair is to set a timeline say, okay, I'm going to allow myself to be upset for three months. I'm making this up. It could be two weeks if you're someone who can move quickly, but I'm going to, but actively, you know, and I'm going to get counseling or I'm going to talk to some of my best friends. I'm going to talk to so-and-so who I know went through the same exact thing five years ago after the three months passes. Okay. Am I still going to spend a lot of my time and energy on this? Or am I going to, you know, check in with yourself? And I think you'll find that you can start to move on to other things. Because I suppose the thing is you can talk to your friends, but eventually they're going to get tired if you're still stuck in talking about, you know, okay. we, have, have we all been there before? <laughs> or the boyfriend or girlfriend who left, they're just not coming back. Right. Yes. <laughs> okay. Wants? Right. And we've all had the friend who couldn't give up the ghosts or whatever the right phrase is. Yeah. They, they just were stuck. They're stuck. And it's like, come on, you got, got to move on. 
And, and I know it's easier said than done. I don't mean to seem unempathetic. I truly am empathetic. I want to see people happy. Just in terms of um, practical advice for job seekers, are there any th- other things, Amy, that you think might be helpful for people? Um, sure. It's different everywhere in the world right now in terms of the degree to which people can get together, health concerns, vaccine distribution, travel, all of that. But the advantage is that um, you and I are talking right now from London and Sacramento, and people are, I think, still in this window of availability that really is unique. I would say that networking is is different right now. We might used to have gone to conferences and industry things and seen each other in the office, uh, depending on your job. And maybe we don't have that, but if we make the time, we really can network. And people are more open in general to meeting new people than they were in the past because they're more available. They're not on planes flying everywhere and they're not commuting to the office. So take advantage of this time. Number one, you know, think about who, you know, how would you rate your network right now at the strength of it as to where you want to be in five years? And if there are some people that you really admire and that are in your industry that you'd love to learn from, number one, start following them. If they have accounts, if they're writing, read everything they write. If you're not connected, read their article. And if, if you genuinely love something about it, write them a little genuine little note saying, hey, on LinkedIn, I've admired your work. I just read your piece on X. I work in this area. I'd love to stay connected if you're open to it. Thank you. And you'd be surprised at how you can begin building your network authentically very quickly that way. That may not lead to a job right away. This is a multi-pronged approach, but that's one thing. Um, You don't want to go in saying, open to work. Hey, do you have a job for me? That doesn't work. The other thing I would say is industries, same thing. They are doing so much to keep their members right now. They need content. They're doing webinars. They're doing virtual conferences. Some are starting to dabble with in-person conferences, some of the speaking I'm doing. Um, I've got my first couple coming up with, with flights and things, and it'll be wonderful to see people again. Conferences always need content. So volunteer, ask to be on a panel, ask to write a piece. Maybe, again, maybe there's someone that if, again, if there's someone you admire and they're speaking at a conference and there's an industry magazine, they love having people write about their experience at the conference. Um, there's always a call for, for articles, calls for speakers. So that would be my tip number two is get involved in whatever professional industry or if it's an industry you want to move into. When I went from law to HR, I joined SHRM as a way to begin to get to know HR because that was not an easy transition, actually going from being a lawyer where I had my law degree and my bar exam and all these other associations to an entirely different occupation, I had to pay my dues. I had to take a big pay cut and start over. And I did, and it was worth it. But it was not just some easy little sign-up thing. And I had to huff it at the time. It was literally pounding the pavement with resumes around San Francisco. Uh, Now you can look online and it's actually a lot easier, but I was sending out. And then when I got my law firm job, just to give you an indication, I sent out a hundred letters a week. Wow. Old school, old school snail mail from DC when I was at Georgetown and looking for a, I graduated a terrible time for lawyers, 1992, horrible, despite wow. LA, LA law being, making it look easy and fabulous. 
Um, and um, I sent it, I, st- I just took out the book in California and I applied to a towns I'd never heard of. And wow. I got a response and I wound up getting an offer. And that's how I'm sitting here talking to you right now indirectly. You've, you've got to, you know, think about these things in, in multiple ways. And just like, like we've said, just do the work, try not to get discouraged. It's very helpful to join a job search group to keep your spirits up. That is very helpful to a lot of people. Um, and especially if you're not looking for the same type of job, you can form your own group, four or five people get on the phone once a week, mutual accountability. What'd you do this week? Did you make 20 contacts? Did you write an article about your area of expertise? Where are you planning to, to go virtually or, or in real life to just be available and be around and, and be visible? That, that's a great point. And I love the fact that you talked about paying your dues because it looks like you had to do a lot of hard work and grind mm-hmm. just to get that first job. But but in a way, I think you appreciate it even more. And I, I totally relate to that, that getting my first uh, training contact in, in the accounting uh, industry was tough. But once I got in there, I really appreciated it because I knew how hard it was. Um, and you know, I was still the same person, but you know, who had been rejected so many times before. But um, and, and, and one final point I think that is, is really interesting, this whole idea of, um, which I think you mentioned before, you could be in a job where you don't really see any potential promotion uh, prospects. But I think the point that you really made that is interesting is that don't, don't let that time go by. Use that proactively. Because I think, you know, maybe it might take a year or two years. That that opportunity could come up in your firm, but it also could come up outside. And I think if you stay in this mentality of, I'm not going to get promoted, I'll just do the bare minimum to survive. I think in, in this day and age, that's not enough. So I just love that point about when you're in that sort of transition phase, there's still a lot of stuff you can do um, to make yourself more employable. There is. And find a way to make your job more interesting. If you if you need to stay, and there are many good reasons to stay at a job, and I've done it too. I've you know stayed at jobs where I wasn't really excited, but I've, I've, I have found either I've taken another class on the side or I volunteered for work outside my area. You know, it's it's up to you. Be creative. Think of other things you can do and reframe it. I think you have to reframe it as I'm going to choose to stay here another year because I'm well paid. My kids are in school. My family's happy. It's not time to make a move. I'm making this up. Everybody has different things that impact them, but those could be very good reasons to stay or my kids in college. I've got a tuition bill to pay. I can't just (laughs) quit right now, you know, or, or whatever it is, or I just bought a house or or I want to buy a house. And, you know, that's more important to me actually than getting promoted right now. I would like to have, I'd like to be a homeowner. There is that stage in your life, you know, or I'm getting married or, you know, I'm going to have a child or, or whatever it is. Or like one client I had who was furious about not getting promoted to a particular position. And I had met her boss and my gut was, this, my client was never going to get promoted. And it was like pulling teeth to get feedback from this boss. Even, even I had a hard time. And usually I get it from people. He was not a sponsor. I could tell that immediately. He was never going to lay down for her, you know, throw down. You always have to have someone in the room speak yeah. for you when, when, when the nine box, as we call it, you know, in HR comes up where it's, where do you rank? Who's promotable? Who's in the succession line? It's one of those where I, I said, you know, I have to be candid. I said, I know you really want this and you're very talented. And this person was in their fifties as well and was terrified of leaving. They'd spent their whole career at this company. 
And they were really angry because a couple other people had been promoted around them that were exactly at their level and they're at their age, everything, everything was the same, except they got promoted and this person, my client didn't. And I said, I'm giving you things you can do. They improved in a bunch of areas, but I said, I think ultimately you're going to have to decide either this whole life that I have, including where I am in this job and the team that I love and that I've built and the work that I do and the business partners that I love is enough for me. And they were making a very, very good six-figure salary. And there are very few jobs. They'd, we, they'd been looking for quite a while, to your point. Like they're very senior. There are only so many senior jobs at the top. And they knew they had the longevity. They had the trust. They wouldn't be laid off probably. And if they did, they were going to get a very handsome package. Yeah. So they went from being super angry after we had this conversation. And I said, you think about it. This is your choice. You are amazing. And you can go out there and quit and look for these other jobs and start over completely and with your credibility and with building a team and all that. And that, and maybe you want to do that. Maybe you're so bored that that's exciting. And you want one more really big go at this, or maybe you decide I'm getting too hung up on this title and I've got great work and I've got great clients. My family's happy. I've got my health. I can't say this for you. I, I can't, I said, but these are the questions I would think about. And they wound up actually deciding they were happy. This is what's so interesting. They decided they were happy. We finished up and they were like a completely different person in terms of their attitude. And then also, you know, we, we changed a few things they wanted to work on. And then a year later on LinkedIn, I saw that they were um, the head of product development for a really hot uh, Silicon Valley company. And I sent them a note and I said, bully for you. Um, I said, they said, yeah, you know, I was happy for a while, but then this opportunity came up and I was ready for it. And they had a good attitude because I'd spent a year, right? What we talked about earlier. And I said, I'm just so thrilled for you. You, you got both. So you just now, you never know where life's going to take you. But I think what we've been talking about is how the inner game and the outer game are both important. Just not giving up on yourself, not getting sucked into the negative, even when, it, even when it seems so hard and when it seems like the whole world is against you, again, it's okay to you know, be angry or sad for a bit, but just find a way to pull yourself up. I just love that story. I, I just think that's so amazing because it's, it's really just thinking, take the personal out of it, look at the facts and, and think about the strategy. And, and I think having um, a coach or a confidant or whatever it is, especially at the higher levels is so important because actually there are these very small moves, which you don't really sometimes realize which you can make or which you can't make. Sometimes it's almost like a game of chicken with you know, whoever that is. They, they obviously realize that you have immense value, but for whatever reason, they're not willing to promote you or lay down for you. Um, and, but they obviously have to keep you on board. So, you know, it's, it's figuring out, okay, what can I get out of the situation? Is the compensation and all these other things enough? But also make yourself happy enough because as you're saying, you never know when these opportunities come up, which could be just amazing. But if you've got a bad attitude, then nobody's going to want, want them to work for, for you. And they won't go the extra mile either. Yeah. If they would, they won't. You know, And you raise another point too, that unfortunately, not a lot of companies are always candid about your chances or where you are. I think we've given a lot of wonderful advice today on how you can try to derive that and pull that out and still continue to um, get ahead. Even if it doesn't feel like you are in your current company, you can be preparing for your next role. It's not always in companies' best interests 
to tell you that they still want you and they think you're fabulous, but they're not going to promote you because guess what? <laughs> not, not everyone can get promoted. I mean, 70% of people need to be just doing their jobs well um, in a company and you can't have 10 million superstars and you can't have more than, you know, one CEO usually. So you, so you do need to just be aware and try to, you know, hopefully you'll get a, companies, I think, that are, that are thoughtful. And I think Gen Z is going to really push them, are asking, where am I? Where am I at? And they're thinking, you know, I hope minimally in three to five year laps in their careers. I, th- that's, I, I think three to five years, everyone should be thinking, you know, if I'm not in a new role, then how am I going to keep my skill set up? The, the velocity at which hard skills is deteriorating is now set at four to six years. If you go back to uh, my law stuff and your accounting stuff and all the credentials we had to work so hard for, it's fascinating, but it used to last longer. So what does that say about our jobs? And then half of the jobs of current kindergartners haven't been invented yet. And so to me, those are table stakes for continuous learning, staying curious, staying excited about life and the different opportunities and where they might lead you. Because what the job that makes you happy in your 30s probably isn't the job that you might want to be doing in your 50s, 60s, 70s, who knows how long, 80s, you know, how long will I work um, with? And, um, and that's okay. That, that's part of what makes life exciting. But, but I think from what we've been talking about, probably a, a, a side a qualification in psychology or emotional intelligence, how <laughs> to really understand what your boss, he or she is saying and interpret things, you know, that, that might be really quite helpful going forward. <laughs> Well, like that good conversation and, and checking in occasionally around, Hey, how can I do my job better is, and with stake with key stakeholders, business stakeholders, especially if you're in a governance or supporting position, like you and I were in companies can be so important because number one, it shows you care just by simply by asking, boom, you've already like done one amazing thing. Second, you might get some really great information that's going to help that relationship and help you do your job better. No, that, that, that's fantastic. So I think we're coming up to the end of our time, Amy, and it's been an amazing conversation. You're completely aligned with a lot of the things I'm thinking about. And actually, I was thinking you're either I'm reading your mind or you're reading my mind. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm so glad. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I, I'd just like to end this. Is there anybody you'd like to give a, a shout out to um, family, cats, dogs? Anything? I'm looking at my dog right now. She actually came in. She's sleeping at my feet. Um, she's my constant little companion. She's often in the back and I could show her, but um, gosh, there's so many people. My husband, my my two daughters have been wonderful, especially during this forced you know, confinement over the past year. Um, I've really missed seeing and being with people and I just absolutely can't wait to get back and out again. And hopefully get to meet you in person as well at some point. Yeah, no, that's so. that would be great. Yeah, when you come over to London for hopefully some some events, so that that yes. would be fantastic. Anyway, Amy, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Um, and obviously, I will include all your um you know, website, all your social media uh, stuff on the. Yeah, people are welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn and um, go to my website barnardbond.com. I, I make hundreds of resources available um, to people, all my articles, podcasts, a newsletter, all kinds of things are on there for people to, to have. And then of course the, the assessment is free. Um, and that combined with the book is a, an incredible, very powerful toolkit. Brilliant. Anyway, th- thanks uh, once again, Amy, for your time and enjoy the rest of your day in Sacramento. Take care. Thank Bye-bye. you. Thank you too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such an enjoyable interview. If you would like to listen to more episodes, 
then please consider subscribing to the podcast, which is available on your favorite providers and subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Stay safe and look after yourself. I hope you will join me again in the future.